Okay, everyone, welcome to the Thursday night cheer. Tonight we're going to learn uh, um, short discourse in this is of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is said in 1960 in on Shabbos Parshas Ekev. That would be in two weeks. Shabbos is related to the Parsha of two weeks from now on the 20th day of the month of Av. This is the Rebbe's father's yard site. Um, this mimer is related to the to the holiday of the fifteenth of Av. Um, as we learned last night, for those who were paying, who uh, listened to the talk regarding um, Shabbos Tishabov, the Dvar Malchus Shir, uh, we made mention that the fifteenth of Av is a big yomtiv, but it really grows out of Tishabov. It's really the pnimius of what Tishabov is all about. Tishabov is a fall, which leads to a great elevation. And the elevation is the 15th of Av. That's the significance of that holiday. So therefore, even though we're still in the beginning of the nine days, we can already leap to the 15th of Av because, especially in a year like this, that we're already peeling away the exile, we're peeling away the klippa, and we're exposing the inner light, let's immediately um, connect to the 15th of Av. Now this is going to be strongly connected to the shir I began last week, which I gave two classes on, and I still owe you the third, um, in explaining the idea of the eternity of the third base Amigdash. We spoke about that Dafka, the third base Amigdash, is the deepest level of eternity. This same theme that Rebbe is discussing over here, I will continue that, Beli Neder. Um, as of now, the plan is to do that for Monday night next week. Um, this week, um, I went out of town, Sunday and Monday, so Monday I didn't give the shear and I didn't end up, I was exhausted on Tuesday and I didn't do it on Tuesday and then it was Wednesday I gave you ready the Dvar Malchus shear so we were absent on that. So let's do this mimer here, it's short. It probably won't take us more than an hour. Uh, and uh, it's a Gishmaka mimer and easy to follow. So let's go. The, 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 the mimer begins on the words, The Jewish people didn't have any holidays as great as the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. That means that the two greatest celebrations that the Jewish people had, at least in the time of the temple, was on Yom Kippur, was, even though Yom Kippur is a seemingly more of a somber day, but it was then a very festive day, as the, the, as the Gemara describes, and I mentioned it yesterday, that the unmarried women, the girls, would go out to dance in the vineyards, and those who needed to uh, find their shiduchim, their soulmates, would go out to the vineyards and they would meet up and they would make shiduchim. And um, the same is also the 15th of Av, they would do it in these two days. And the Gemara gives a bunch of reasons why the 15th of Av is a holiday. Amongst them, one of them I mentioned last night, that's when they discovered that the decree that was decreed upon those who were going to die in the Midbar were going to stop dying. Um, all those who died for the 40 years. So that's when the last year, it found, on, on the 15th of Av, they finally realized that the decree was, was done with. And the Gemara also says that um, they allowed the tribes to marry, intermarry with each other. There's a certain point that the Bays didn't hand it down that decision. It was on the 15th of Av because there were certain restrictions regarding um, people marrying into other tribes. The tribes stuck to themselves because because of the stories of the daughters of Tzalafchad who complained that they don't have, who received an inheritance, and then the family of the family of the family of Usher, 
I'm sorry, of Menashe, said that if the girls will inherit land that belongs to Menashe, but they'll get married to men from other tribes and their children, their boys, their male inheritors will then belong to the other tribe and that means that would, that would uproot certain parts of the land and take it to the other tribe. So, um, so Moshe Rabbeinu gives them the mitzvah of, of a commandment of God stated last week in the end of the parsha that every that girls, at least those who are going to inherit, means the families that only have daughters, that don't have boys, those girls can only marry within the same tribe. What that was doing was it was creating a certain sense of tribalism amongst the Jewish people and taking away from the unity. Even though I guess it only impacted these women, but still it was that kind of a feeling. Um, uh, at a certain point later, many years later, the Sanhedrin sat down and they, and they came up with the, with the psaq, with halacha, that that commandment of God was only for the first generation that settled the land. That in the initial settling, there has to be a distinction very strongly of each tribe. But at a later point, they can annul that. That was another reason. And the Talmud says that they permitted the, 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 the tribe of Binyamin, they allowed Binyamin back amongst the Jewish people because for a while, the whole tribe of Binyamin, because of the story of the concubine in Giva, in which the family the, the, the tribe of Binyamin, some thugs in the, fa- in the tribe of Binyamin acted in a very despicable manner in which the Jewish people had to go to war against Binyamin. Um, and in the end, the Basin decided to allow, and for many years they excommunicated the entire tribe. Now they allowed Binyamin to rejoin the Jewish people, so to speak, again. So these are various different reasons. They also stopped chopping the wood for the Karbanis. Um, yeah, the Gemara gives like seven reasons. Now, that's Talmudic reasons. In Kabbalah and in Hasidus, in, in the writings of the Ari, it says that the reason for the holiday is because you have a full moon. It says in the writings of Arizal, which is Priyetz Chaim, which, by the way, this week is going to come the Arizal's yard site. So it's good to be learning a mimer. When is the Arizal's yard site? I think on Sunday, hey, hey of, the Arizal's Yard Seif is on Sunday, so let this be uh, in us connecting to the Holy Ari. So the, and this teaching of the Arizal is brought in Chassidus. The quality of the day of the 15th of Av is that that's the day when the moon is full. And in the words of the Zohar, a full moon, the Gemara refers to a full moon as that the moon is in its fullest. And we need to understand um, yeah, that there's a full moon. So then the question is, but that's not only in the 15th of Av. I touched upon this question yesterday. We need to understand that this idea that the moon is in its fullest, a full moon, this we have in the 15th of every month. And what makes the 15th of Av different and unique? We have this every every holiday. Every 15th. 15th of Shvat is also, okay, that's we have two Bishvat. Uh, 15th of uh, Adar, well, it's also a holiday, it's Shushan Purim. The 15th of Cheshvan, right? It's not a holiday. Uh, so why do we say that, and even more than this, what does it say over here? That this Yom Tiv is greater than all the other holidays including the holidays that are on the 15th. Pesach is on the 15th. Sukkot is on the 15th. Void, the Gama Yom Tovim, the Pesach, the Sukkot, Gam Hembetez, Vav L'Chaydish. 
they too are on the 15th of the month. And if so, why is the 15th of Av greater than the Yomtev of Pesach and Sukkis, which are also on the 15th when you have a full moon? Now, what's so great that we have a full moon? We'll explain in the Mimer. The moon represents the Jewish people. It represents the attribute of Malchus, the Shekhinah, which is the sole source of, the, of Israel. So when the moon is full, meaning the Jewish people are standing in a very, on a very high caliber, in a very high state of proximity to God. We're the, we're the beneficiaries of great divine illumination. Yeah, but that happens every 15th of the month. What's the idea of Dafka the 15th of Av? Acha Amr is all until the sages come along and they say, there wasn't a yomte for the Jewish people like the 15th of Av. So what's the main explanation in this? That the elevation that happens on the 15th of Av, yeah, we have that elevation all the time, but this time it follows a very, very great descent, a plunging descent. There are the, 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 the uh, waning of the moon represents always the ups and downs, or let's say the downs of life, the hardships, and generally what's called Hester Punim, when God is concealing himself from us, and we're in the darkness. And that's the, that's the exile. And, that's, and since the story of, of the Jewish people is a constant fluctuation of, of times when Hashem is close to us, and then we have a very shaky marriage with God. It's close and distance, close and distance. Um, yeah, so every month we have that, that idea, the reconciliation, the re, 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 reunification. And it's reflected in a marriage also in a husband and wife. There's the, there's the, there's the separation at a certain part of the month, and then there's the, the unity that happens at another point in the month. So that's the idea. But what, 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 he's emphasized, what he says is that the exile that's re- represented, or the down that's represented in all the other months, is a down, but not such a big down. But on, in the month of Av, it comes after Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is utter destruction and devastation. In other words, we've hit rock bottom. And since we hit rock bottom on Tisha B'Av, then what happens after Tisha B'Av, because that's the rule, in God's reality, which God is the essence of goodness, Every descent and every pain and every every darkness is only for the sake of for the sake of an ascent and a greater revelation and a deeper intimacy. So therefore, it comes after the fall of the fifth of the ninth of of, and that makes that the elevation on the fifteenth, even though it's the same idea, the moon is full. That means we are in full recipiency so does, of, of Hashem's light, but yet on the 15th of Av, it is greater than all the other. Not only that we appreciate it because we were in a darker place, but it's actually a brighter, greater light. And according to the rule, that the descent is for the sake of an ascent, moving. It's understood. As much as the descent is, so the ascent that comes after it and as a consequence of it, which is because the elevation is derived from the descent, and even deeper than that, the initial descent was only to appear for the ascent or to gain momentum like a person crouching in order that they should be able to jump and leap forward. So the crouch itself is part of the ascent as explained so many times by the Rebbe. So the so 
if it's a lower, the more preparation the person is doing in the crouching, the greater you watch, uh, watch ever a lion, a hunting lion, a puma, you know, hunting for an animal as it lays and it crouches down. So the lower it crouches, you know, that the leap that it's going to pounce is going to be at a, for, to a, with greater vigor and, a, uh, and, and at a greater, for a greater distance. So the same is the idea. The lower we fall, the higher we go. And with this makes the 15th of Av so great. Because in this day, the ascent, when the moon is in its fullest, is very high. Because it comes after and through the descent that came before that, which is very great. Okay, that's Ifah. And the explanation of the matter is as follows. The moon is referring to the attribute of kingship, Malchus, which the attribute of kingship it refers to many things. It refers to the attribute of kingship, which is God's presence in the world. Um, it refers to what we refer to as Shekhinah, and it refers to the Jewish, the ensemble of Jewish souls, because we're all really derivatives of the Shekhinah. And we know that we're compared to the moon, the Shekhinah, the Jewish people, the, the, the divine energy, the, the godly soul of creation, because it's, because it's a recipient, it's a makabal, it's feminine. It receives its light from above, from higher, from the transcendental element of the divine, called HaKadosh Baruch, who is the husband, who bestows his influence to her, to the Shekhinah. So, and the comparison is as follows. The Kishem Shesiyad Alavana, just like the moon, less Lamagar Miklum has no, nothing of her own. She'eina oira bamemena elo oira shemesh. The light that is projected from the moon is just a reflection of sunlight. There's no light. The moon is not projecting its own rays, its own illumination. It's bouncing off the rays of the sun. Meir al Yada that is shining through it. So too is with Sfiris Amalchus, Lesla Megar Meklum. She's a Makabal, and she's a luminous entity. She gives life to all of creation, or the Jewish people influence and give light to the world. But our light is not our light. Our light comes from the Torah. Our light comes from intrinsic light that is being continuously um, funneled through our souls, but not from us. It's Hashem's light. Like we say, Hashem Oiri, Hashem is my light. And our job is to shine the light that God is shining upon us and reflect it into every, every spot that we find ourselves in this world. A Jew is here to, to raise the consciousness and awareness of the world, to raise the morality, to raise the, the awareness of God in the world. And that, but, but, but it's not our light, it's not our teachings, it's all transmitted from above. We're just reflecting it, each and every one of us, in different places and so on and so forth. Like the moon that's reflecting the, the rays of the sun in the nighttime to places where the sun itself is not reaching the night, during the night. And the so to the attribute of Malchus, doesn't have anything of her own. Now the explanation of the matter is, so the Rebbe is making over here a very important clarification. That this, that we say that Malchus doesn't have any light, doesn't mean she doesn't have any light. It means she doesn't have any shining light. She has light. And in a sense, her light is the deepest, highest light. It's really rooted in the essence of God, higher than all the other's attributes. And in that sense, she's not a recipient. She doesn't receive from anybody. 
However, that's a very private, innate, deep, inner light that is not shareable, at least not now, until the days of Mashiach. Um, uh, the light that is sheared by Malchus, shining light that she can, that she can um, project out into the dark, into those that need that light, into the, for Malchus it means into the creation, to enliven them, to sustain them, that light she doesn't have on her own, on her own that she's only reflecting from the sun. It's not that Malchus doesn't have any light at all. The intention is The woman has a very deep light. In a sense, the feminine light is much higher than the masculine light at its core, at its essence. It's just very private, and it hasn't been sheared yet. That's what's so beautiful about Mashiach's world. The true, innate, feminine, intrinsic um, um, inner light is going to come forth and it's going to be the ultimate light. But that's, again, that's for the future. When I say future, I mean already current because we're already in the future. But, but I mean to say relative to the entire passage of history, the way the moon was influencing or the woman was influencing her home and so on and so forth is mainly a transmission of light and energy and so forth that she's receiving from from, from the Mashpia. She has a light that is essential light that is not luminous. That's why we say that Malchus was initially emanated as a point. That point, that's her essential light. All the other spheros, when they were initially emerged, they emerged as an entire configuration. The configuration represents all their features. Their features are all their illuminations. So chesed comes with the chesed of chesed and the gavura of chesed and the teferis of chesed, which are all the, 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 the um, characteristics which allow for chesed to influence. And the same is gavura and same the other spheres. Malchus is not that way. She was initially an, uh, uh, um, born just with a point. And then later... She has to re- grow by receiving the the other elements of of Malchus, which Malchus is also a configuration, where she receives the other um, attributes, but that is being given to her. Unlike the other spheros that have that naturally, that which she receives, that's what's being shared. Now, there's two opinions in Kabbalah. What do, what do we say is the essential? Point of Malchus, im keser sheba Malchus. If her essential core is the keter element, the crown element of Malchus, or Malchus sheba Malchus, or it's the Malchus of Malchus. In other words, what's her essence? Is her essence the the keser element of Malchus, and the rest is is built on that keser sheba Malchus, or is her essence Malchus sheba Malchus, and everything she and, and all the other spheres are. Um, additives to her. But, but the Rebbe over here is interesting, is not going into the explanation and the difference of, of what it is, if it's Keser Sheba Malchus or Malchus Sheba Malchus. It is explained in other places in Hasidus um, what that means, but that's not, he doesn't explain it over here. But the light that illuminates and does reveal itself to others, that she doesn't have any of her own. In order that she should be in a, a she should have 
luminous light, light that is shareable, light that is um, emanating. On that we say she doesn't have anything of her own. So this comes to her through drawing the other attributes, through the yichud. That's what she, she receives from her husband. He, which represents all the other attributes, is shining upon her of his light like the sun shines upon the moon in which the moon reflects. And the ultimate of this, this light that she's, in terms of a makabal that she's receiving, this reaches its peak every month in the 15th of the month. Then Malchus, as a as a mekabel, as a recipient, is in her re- full capacity of recipients. She's completely open and fully receiving the hashpa from from her husband, which means the transcendental, infinite light of God that far surpasses creation. Channels to Malchus, Malchus receives, and Malchus therefore becomes the power of the divine, the imminent element of God within the world, which includes also the Jewish people. And this is what it says in the Pasuk. Now, this idea is all described in a Pasuk, the mystical meaning of a Pasuk in Kahelas. In Kahelas, it says like this the Yisrael Eretz Bakoilhi, that the advantage of earth is in everything. Simply, earth has an advantage in all matters. Earth, soil. And, and, the, and how much so is the earth so special that melech lesada nevad, that even the king is subjugated to the earth. Because for the king to eat, the king is the highest from all, right? from anything that exists is what the highest creatures or beings are human beings. In the human beings itself, the king is like there's a hierarchy, all kinds of people and different positions and so on and so forth. The king is the highest. Even the king is subjugated to the earth because the king can only, you know, for his uh, morning uh, breakfast, he needs, uh, for his very life, he needs to come onto the earth. He needs to eat his cereal or his salad or whatever it is he's getting from the vegetables, from the wheat, from the flour, from all that that he's getting from, from the earth. That's the simple meaning. But then there is a deeper spiritual meaning to this Pasuk. And it means like this. Malchus is called earth. Just like I said before that Malchus is feminine and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is masculine. So we see that that exists in all elements. All of creation is created in peers. Heaven and earth, heaven is masculine, is male, because the heaven is the mashpia. It gives the... Listen, there the Shemayim and the Aretz, the heaven and the earth are really married, the sky and the earth. The sky is the husband, that's why he's the one that gives the, the rain, and the earth absorbs that, just like the woman is absorbing the from the husband. But who's the one who has the babies? The woman. So the woman now takes, the earth takes that and produces, produces pr- uh, all the vegetation, and uh, so, that, so that's that relationship. So Malchus is called earth because of that, you see that, that quality. It's the last of all the attributes, just like the, the earth is the last and lowest form of existence. So in the levels of the vine, it's the lowest and last. And for, for other elements that Malchus is called earth. It's saying that Malchus, the Yisrael Eretz, 
How does Malchus, Eret, get yit, yeser? Yeser means more. In other words, she has what she has on her own. How does she increase? Just like we said before, Malchus doesn't have, she's very limited. What she has of her own is very deep and unshareable. What she's going to share and influence she needs to receive. And how does she receive it? From her husband. So that's what the Pasuk is saying. The Yisroin Eretz, the Yisroin, the Yeser, the ad- additives, the additions to earth, to Malchus, Bakoilhi is coming from her husband. Her husband is called Bakol, because from the, the husband is called Ze'er Anpin, the six, which Ze'er Anpin means another Kabbalistic term for Hakodesh Baruchu, which represents the higher sphero, the higher attributes, which all those higher attributes funnel down into the Yesod, and Yesod is the, the, the last and final element of the masculine spherot, and the whole idea of Yesod is the bonding with Malchus. Yesod is the, the power of bonding, of connection. So it's the, it's the ability for the, for the man to bond and to transmit to the woman. So, and, and, and that's why it's called Bakol, because Yesod is called Kol, because it receives everything. It receives from all the higher spheres. Chesed flows into Yesod, Gavura, Teferes, Netzach, Hod, all the five spheres, and even also the intellect, the Chachma, the Chachma Bina Das, they all flow into Yesod, and Yesod is given to Malchus. So that, and Yesod is called, therefore, Bakol. Like we say in Davening, Lecha Hashem, Hagedula, which is Chesed, Hagavura, which is Gavura, Teferes, Vanetzach, Vahoid, then we say Lacha Hashem Hamam Lacha. The only one that we don't make mention of, which is kingship, the only one that we don't make mention is Yesod. What happens to Yesod? Yesod is the word Kikol Bashamayim Uba'aretz. Kol that connects Shamayim and Oretz. Shamayim is the male, Oretz is the, is the female. The one that's connecting it is Kol. So Kol is Yesod. So that's what the verse is saying. Shlomo Melech is saying in Kehelis. Yisroin Eretz, the quality of Malchus. Bakoilhi is through Bakoil, is through Yesoid that has Koil. Sha'ina Yisrin Shanasa Besfirasa Malchus, the addition that happens in Malchus, who al Yadei Bakoil is through uh, through through her husband, through Bakoil. Sfirasa Yesoid. It's the attribute of Yesoid. Sha'al Yadeya Yesoid, through the Yesoid, Nimshachim Besfirasa Malchus, it's drawn into Malchus from all the higher spheres. Including and primary from what the male element receives even from higher, and that's from Bina, the illumination from Bina, which in Bina through Chachma comes the Orin Sof, comes the infinite light. It's transmitted to Chachma from Chachma to Bina. Bina is the mother; she gives it to her son. The son is considered the masculine, the six male um, 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 spherot, which form one unit. Of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he, through Yesaid, is Mashpiyat Tamalchus. Kol, the word Kol, which means everything, in Gematria, it's 50. And we know the influence of Bina is through 50 gates, called 50 gates of Bina. So Yesod, which is called Kol, because it's at the bottom, is receiving from all, from all the higher spheres, funneling the 50 the influence that comes from the 50 gates of Bina, which is also called Kol. So two things are called Kol. Yesod is called Kol, and Bina is called Kol, 50. And all that is transmitted to Malchus. 
this is Barkoil. Kol gamat bigamatri yanun. Kol is bigamatri yanun. So this is the ordinary, um, the ordinary system that Hashem has set it up. This is the order. This is the way the mechanics. This is the mechanics that God set up when the system is has is not tampered with, when things are running in accordance to the initial divine plan. This is the way it is. But then, then Shlomo Melech continues in the pasuk and he says, "Well, there's there are other possibilities. There are times when Malchus, um, the woman, is not just a recipient from her husband." but that she rises as a rising star. And she rises higher even than the source that's transmitting to her. That's again related to the future times when it says, that the woman will encompass her husband, will encircle her husband. Now, things circling the other means that it's higher than it. It's a keter to it, it's a crown to it. the woman of valor, In other words, the ultimate is to unlock the secret of the woman. It's to unlock the feminine potential. And um, that's very high. So this itself, that Malchus rises higher than Yesod and higher than all the spheres and higher than Bina, um, has in itself a few stages. And that's the meaning of the second half of the Pasuk. Melech lesode nevad. We said before the Pasuk is Yisrael Eretz Bakoilu. Malchus increases through Bakoil, through Yesod. That's regularly. Melech Lesod Nevad is talking about an extreme elevation of Malchus far beyond that. How, what is, how is it hinted to in these words, Melech Lesod Nevad? So he brings these two pirushim in the words Melech Lesod Nevad, Kabbalistic pirushim. The king is subjugated to the field. So one pirush is that the king referred to over here is Melech Malche Hamlochim, the king of all kings, which represents the level of Keter, crown. That's called Melech. Because Kesar, who wears a Kesar? Who wears a crown? A king. So um, uh, Kesar, which is known as the Soviv Kalam, the infinite light, higher than the, than the attributes that are Oireis Bekelem, lights and vessels. This is still a light that doesn't, can't be contained in a vessel. The lights of Kesar, that's why the crown sits above the head. It's called Melech. And we're saying that even Keter, the crown, even Kesar, the crown, Lesada to the field, the field is Malchus, Nevad is subjugated. What does that mean? That there are times that Malchus rises so high, she rises all the way up into Keser. Actually, I, we spoke about that yesterday in the Dvar Malchus here, two times of the year when that happens, on the 15th of Av, when Malchus has a super Aliyah uh, to the highest, and on Yom Kippur when there's Aliyah Sa Malchus by Keser, especially in Keser, especially by Ni'ilah. So this is, that's the idea, Melech, which is Keser, Lesada to the field, which is Malchus, Nevar, is subjugated, means that, that Malchus is then receiving purely, directly from the Orin Sof, and not filtered and diminished through the, through the male spheros, as we spoke earlier. That's one pirish. There's another pirish that says that Melech in this Pasuk is referring to Malchus herself. She's called Melech because she's the king over the worlds, over the actual creations. Lesada to the field, she is subjugated. What does that mean? That is that referred, that Malchus has a family that she has to take care of. And not only that, sometimes she has to really make herself vulnerable and descend into very dark places 
in order for her to do the tikkunim, to clean up her own house. Uh, sometimes she has to act as an exterminator to clean out the, the bad stuff and so on and so forth. So in that sense, uh, she has to go into, into, that's the whole idea of the, the fall of Malchus. Malchus falls and the descent and, and, and Golos HaShchina, the exile of the Shechina and the exile and all of that. It's because to do tikkunim, to do certain purifications in the darkest of places. Remember always, Kedusha always wins. Malchus is going to come out supreme. The Jewish people are going to rise. It's always going to come out that holiness is going to prevail. But sometimes it appears like the other side is winning the battle. And that Malchus and the, the powers of holiness are subjugated and taken advantage of by the other side. That's the other meaning. Melech, the king, Lesadeh, in this case, the field is not Malchus. The field represents the unholy field, the field of Klippa, which is in the three lower worlds, but primarily it's the Klippas, the unholiness, like it says, Esav, Esav Ishsa, that he's the man of the field. So this is an unholy place. Malchus gets, is subjugated to that field, Nevat. So what are the connection of the two Pirushim? Because in order for Malchus to rise to Keser, that only happens after Malchus has a descent down lower through her descent and through her struggles and through the Golos, as we spoke earlier, through Tishabav, you come to Tezvav Ba'av. Through the fall, you come to the Aliyah. Achlamaylam, as Ezra explains over here. Humashakal, so it says, after this Melech Lesada Nevad, the king is subjugated to the field. Shezemoida, this indicates Alaliyah Meyuchedes Pesphiris Amalchus. This is indicative of a super elevation to Malchus. Not her ordinary monthly joining with her husband in which she is which her lights are um, in which she's illuminated with light this is a much higher elevation and in this itself there's two pirushim how that elevation is hinted to in these in the, in in this pasuk one of them speaks of the elevation itself the other one speaks of the what causes the elevation, or if I'm, if, if I, if I, if if I remember, as he's going to say in a moment, that after that it's possible for Malchus to elevate in Kesser, maybe not through a fall, but through the fall, the elevation is even higher than Kesser, as we're going to see. So Pidish Echot Kedisa Bezoar said in Zayar, the Melech Kol Melechila, that Melech is referring to the supernal king, as we said before, referring to Kesser. Which is the attribute of Keser, which is beyond the, the evolving order of worlds. That's why it's called the supernal Keser, the higher, higher crown. And the Pirush, and the meaning of when it says the king is subjugated to the field, represents the idea that at times Malchus is infused with pure infinite light as we said before, unhindered and not diluted through the other spheres. And in this case, Malchus is called field, like we sometimes say, the, the field of the apple orchard. Right? So Malchus is called sometimes field. And there's a second Pidish in Zayar Sham, the Melech calls Firas Malchus. That Melech is referring to Malchus. And the king subjugated to the field, is referring to the descent of Malchus. To the three worlds, which is called field. There is a field and there is a field. There is a field of holiness. 
Remember we said before that Malchus is called field. But now in this interpretation, that's holy field. In this, in this, in this um, interpretation, the, 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 the second interpretation, the Sada element of the Pasuk is not referring to Malchus. It's referred, because Melech is referring to Malchus. Remember, it's the king subjugated to the field. The question is, who's the king? If the king is Keser, then the field is Malchus. But if the, if the king is Malchus, then the field is the lower elements, as he explains over here. The Isada de la Umazat. There is, this, as it says in Zohar, that there's two fields. There is a field of holiness, which is Firas Malchus. The Isada de la Umazat. And there is the unholy field, the field that belongs to the unholy. And the Fipirijan, according to this explanation, Sadekan Kal Sadad Lo Umazet. This field is referring to the field of the unholy. Sha Malchus Yedas, that Malchus descends, Levarid Birudim Birudim to go down to fix fixings, to purify purifications, Pisadadal Umazah and the field of the other side. And the Kamaimer, as it says, uh, a Pasuk in Mishle, it says, Ragleho Yaredas Mavas, her feet descend into death. So mystically, this is referring to the feet of the Shekhinah, the feet of Malchus, go down into dark places. It means simple that Hashem gives extra energy to the Klippas. Wherever the Jewish people go, the Shekhinah comes along. This is the meaning. She goes down into a place of death. Sha Malchus Yeredes Lebiyah, that Malchus goes down to the three lower worlds. But the purpose is, is like the sages say, why did the Jewish people go to exile? So that we can extract the sparks of holiness that are there. It's only through this descent of the Shekhinah, of Malchus. To do this rectification, these purifications in Biyah. So this descent is for the sake of an ascent. This is what prompts, this is what causes her to go up much higher. Gamla Mail, not only the Aliyah that we said before that she goes up into Keser, but even deeper than that. Gamla Mail Mabchanasamshachasakesamalchus. Even higher than the drawing of Keser. Again, even the drawing of Keser to Malchus, that's also extraordinary. That too is, is not the normal position of Malchus. That too is a treat. But yet, through the fall, she goes way beyond that. All of this will give us an understanding of the 15th of the month generally and the uniqueness of the 15th of the month of um, the month of Av. That's when the moon is standing in its fullest. This quality in the moon. And, in, and again, the moon is full, which is a metaphor for the Shekhinah being full. Ba'atamid is always, um, always happens, it's always after the descent that happens in the beginning of the month. What's the descent in the beginning of the month? Is that the moon is uh, lightless, right? It's dark. She has no light. That means that there is a disconnect. Which, which is the idea of exile, a disconnect between us and Hashem. Then the moon has no light to give. She's in darkness. And by the way, this is all not just the story of the Jewish people. It's each and every one of our individual lives. We go through darkness. We go through hardships. And if we, if we stick it out and we don't give up and we remain, keep our faith, 
in the darkness, then we always realize that after every fall, we actually ascend to a much deeper and higher place. That's always the rule. And after the descent of the concealment and the obscurity of the moon at the time of its, of its birth, Ba'aliyah, the Kaim of Shlomusa, comes afterwards the elevation, that she's standing in a very complete place. Please stand. However, notwithstanding that after the descent, the, the, the aliyah in Malchus is very great, but it's possible that even after the ascent, it should still have changes, it should still fluctuate. Now it seems like what the Rebbe is talking about over here, the elevation of Malchus after her separation, um, is he's talking about the idea of uh, of already the, the 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 not the the regular idea of darkness and light, but we're talking about extra darkness, which is reflected yeah in in, in the idea that there was a concealment, but he's not talking about the, just the idea the way the structure of Malchus is that Malchus uh, receives from her husband and there are times when there is a, a brighter receiving. The, the including in this is even the specialty, even the special elevations that come after the falls. She can be elevated to a place and have this enormous illumination, but not necessarily that it's retainable. As we're going to see, it's possible for it to change. In other words, it's not nitzchis; it's not eternal. It's not going to be an eternal elevation. And it's possible for it to be afterwards a descent. And then there is an aliyah that's even higher than this. Which is eternal aliyah. Which can't have a descent. Could be that's referring to the two elements that he spoke earlier. There's an aliyah of Malchus in Keser, which is huge. But even though she's elevating into Keser, or as he called it before, not the elevation of Malchus in Keser, but he called it Hamshachas HaKeser, the drawing of the lights of Keser to Malchus, which is, which is super powerful, but yet, not necessarily that it's Nitzchias, that it's eternal. And then, there is the deeper elevation that comes after the biggest fall, then her elevation is one that's permanent and will never change. This will understand the the novelty of the fifteenth of Av, in comparing it to the general fulfillment of the moon that that we have usual. every month the idea of the aliyah of the moon. Yes, it's always after a descent of the period when there was a moonless sky when it was dark, representing the concealments and so forth. But, and therefore the elevation is very high. It's in a manner even at the time of the elevation and even at the time of the connection, it's leaving room, it's possible. There is, a, there is already a possibility, possibility of a breakup in the relationship, of, of, it, of, a, of, of this not lasting. It's not necessarily absolutely durable that it will last forever. Even the 15th of Chodesh Nisan, now we, every 15th of the month is a special day, representing this, an aliyah. 
And within those, you have special holidays, like, like Pesach, 15th of Nisan. But even that, 15th of Nisan, Shuchaga Pesach, which is the Yont of Pesach, what do you see? What are we celebrating Pesach? Because of the exodus from Egypt. The exodus of Egypt didn't last forever. In some ways, yeah, because we, we will never go back to the slave state that we were before. But the fact that we were able to still go into exile afterwards means that it did not knock a nail in that should last forever. was considered a redemption which it was followed by an exile. And the same is also regarding the full moon. Rep- so that's the full moon represented on the 15th of Nisa. Then there's another idea in full moon. That when the first base Amigdash was built, we know it was built through Solomon, Shlomo Melech, and Shlomo Melech was the 15th generation from Abraham, from Avram. You count Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, whatever, until Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh, and then you go. But the, on this, actually, now you're not counting through Moshe, you're counting through Yehuda, Peretz, you know. You go down, David HaMelech is the 14th and Shlomo is the 15th. So again, the moon was full. So you had the greatest time for, for, for Israel, for the Jewish people. The greatest divine illuminance. Beis HaMikdash. But even that didn't last forever. As it says in HaMelech was the 15th generation of Avram, the Azkai Messiah of Shlomus. Which reflects in the idea that the moon was then in its fullest. That's why Shlomo Melech was the one who built the house. So this aliyah too ain't aliyah nitzchis. This aliyah is not an eternal aliyah. Because afterwards the Beis English was then destroyed after that. But the aliyah of the 15th day of the month of Av. Since it comes after the descent of Tishabov, which is a very, very great descent, the fall of this Yerida is going to lead So the elevation is going to be commensurate and equivalent to the descent. And this Aliyah in Yerida is an Aliyah that has no Yerida afterwards. Tezvav Ba'av represents the correction of, Tish, of Tishabav. In other words, it's, it's the repair of the destruction of both temples, we're going to see in a moment. And, and therefore it represents, the, 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 the mystery of the 15th of Av is that it's a future Yomtev. It's the Yomtev of the future, it's the Yomtev of Mashiach. That redemption is going to be permanent. So that's why the 15th of Av, which represents the Aliyah of Malchus, the Aliyah of Malchus in a way that she will never ever part. And that's its ultimate aliyah. And that's why this is way beyond the 15th of every other month. And that's why the Jewish people already back then knew that there's something about this day that is that, that far surpasses any other day of the calendar. Based on this, we'll also understand Gamma. So even though technically in our cycle we have the 15th of Av and then next year we find ourselves again with Tisha B'Av. Hopefully this year it's done. We're not going to ever find ourselves by Tisha B'Av uh, as a dark day again. Tezvav B'Av is going to be its, its final tikkun, and we don't even have to wait till then. We can already have, we're learning already about it today. We can have already that elevation today. And based on this, we'll also understand what it says in the Medrash on the Pasuk. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. 
Shanachama hi bekeflayim, that the comfort is a double comfort. Keneget churben ba'yis rishon v'churben ba'yis sheni. The reason why Hashem says nachamu, nachamu, two times nachamu, is because He's comforting us for the first temple and for the second temple. At first glance, it doesn't seem to make any sense. That if we're already being comforted for the first temple, it is includes within it already a comfort for the second temple because the second temple was a weaker, inferior base amigdash than the first base amigdash. So if I'm going to replace, how does a comfort come? A comfort comes from by replacing. Once Hashem restores us to the status of the first temple, that means the comfort, we're not lacking anything, Inevitably, we've already restored the second temple as well, which was of lesser, which was of lesser stature. So, if someone used to live and used to get a salary of a thousand dollars, and then he was demoted a while later, and he got five hundred dollars, and then they took that away as well. So, when in the end, someone comes and gives him a thousand dollars, restores them back to their salary of a thousand dollars a week, whatever. So. Uh, that already includes the restoration of 500. So you, know, what's the, you don't need it. It's not a double comfort. It's one comfort. That's the question. The We know the first temple was a much greater Beis Amigdash than the second temple. The second Beis Amigdash was lacking five, five very special things that indicated the dwelling of the Shekhinah there. So even though the second temple also had the dwelling of the Shekhinah, but it was a lower level Shekhinah, as explained in Tanya. Once we have already the Nachama, the, the comfort on the destruction of the first base Amigdash, why do I need an extra Nachama for the second base Amigdash? But the idea will be understood that since since the descent is for the sake of an ascent, and after the descent, there's always the elevation is always greater than what was before. Because whenever we go down, every time, every time we're, 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 we're sliding, it's because we go up and we go to a higher peak. We slide, we go to a higher peak. If that's the case, we have to say that the second base amigdash was superior to the first base amigdash because it came after it was destroyed. The mere fact that this came after a fall, which was the destruction of the first temple, you have to say second base amigdash was higher. So even though on a more revealed and a more um, experiential way, the first temple was greater than the second, but there was something deeper about the second base image that was lacking in the first temple. And because of that, we need to be comforted for both, because each one has a quality. But the third temple, since it's going to come after the descent of the second temple, which is after an ascent that comes after the descent of the first temple, its elevation is going to be Ein Sof. And according to Zakar Chachtarach Loimar, so you are forced to say, that there is a superior quality in the second base of Mikdash over the first base of Mikdash. Just from the mere fact that the building of the second base of Mikdash was after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. It was, a descent, it was a, an, an ascent after a descent. And like the quality of a balchuva on a tzaddik, a tzaddik hasn't fallen. The, the balchuva is a tzaddik who fell. And now he's coming back. And we know the balchuva is higher because it's, there was a yurida. In order for him to be a balchuva, he had to fall. 
And therefore, we have to say that when he's doing tshuva, he's going higher than where he was before. If he's not going higher, why did he have to fall? Everything is ultimately, even though we have free choice, but it's also following a certain um, guidance from above. That's why the second base of English was higher. So we need to have a specific nechama to replace also the second temple. Also on this quality that wasn't the Bayashani. This is the double Nachama. After the descent of Tishaba. In the destruction of both Beis Amigdash, the first and the second, will be in the future. Will be an Aliyah in accordance to the Yerida. Now, even just thinking, the Rebbe is not saying it here. All the other exiles, Mitzrayim was 210 years. The Babylonian exile was 70 years. Uh, the, the Greeks, even though it wasn't a complete exile, was first of all, number one, we, we stayed in Eretz Yisrael. But, and it was 100 and so something years. I'm not exactly sure, the 150, 100. So it had a certain measure. This exile is, seems to be eternal, close to 2,000. And we're scattered all over the world. And we've been through hell. Of and that's because the descent is endless. It's almost like we're plummeting in a bottomless pit because the ev- elevation is going to be endless, permanent, forever and ever. But from you see from here that even though the idea, as we said before, that, there, that there's levels, that the main mila in the third base of English is the idea of its nitzchias. Same idea that we were learning in the other mila. There's going to be a permanent elevation that doesn't have an exile after and this aliyah, this elevation is going to have both qualities. Hein milas by its rishon, it's going to have the quality of the first base of mikdash. Shahoya by oisam heid varim shachasur ba'isheni, which had five things that were lacking in the second temple. Milas ba'isheni and the quality of the second base of mikdash, shehim milas hatshuva, which is the quality of tshuva. So this is what we're going to have. We merit that all of this should already come to fruition. Now.